0: Hold up.
2: Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections. Uh, If you're new to this here podcast, what we do here is we watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time. You join us for episode 53 when we'll be looking at Paul Feig's genre bending simple favor Um, to help me determine Uh, Yeah, the greatest film family of all time, which you will hear once more in this podcast as I introduce my guest uh, for a second time. Because I'm about to do it now. It's Claire Ellen Hope from the W Rated podcast, which if you're not listening to it, get on over there. I uh, joined them for what is currently number one, I believe, on the IMDb bottom 100, which is Disaster Movie. And it was a lot of fun. Um, Daisy from their podcast has been on before. Uh, to talk about Paolo alto so you know i've, I've completed the set for like fanos <laughs> so the film we'll be diving into as i said is a simple favor and we'll be talking about this film in spoilerific detail we will go through every beat every twist every turn of this twisted and turny plot this film has and we'll yeah we'll be we'll be we'll diving into it this one was a lot of fun um claire is always a joy to talk to uh, well claire's been on before she's on the con Air anniversary special and uh you saw how raucous that one got uh mainly because of claire and yeah this one is just as fun we go all over the map so yeah all that's left to do is to say hi mums and uh i don't know get to know some brother fuckers as we take on a simple favor and make some Coppola connections. Hi, mums and brotherfuckers. Today, we are going to be talking about 2018's genre bender, A Simple Favor. Directed by Paul Feig and written by Jessica Shaza. The film stars Anna Kendrick, Blake Lively, and Henry Golding. The man behind the camera and today's Copla Connection is our boy, Jonathan Schwartzman. Joining me to decipher this t- film's twists and turns and ultimately help me answer the question. Are the Copplas the greatest film family of all time? Is somebody much more accustomed to the bottom of the barrel of cinema? The IMDb bottom 100. One half the exceptional W-rated podcast, Claire Ellen Hope. Claire, want to trade
1: confessions? <laughs> no, absolutely not. If it's being recorded. No, thank you. <laughs>
2: Hello. Hello, how, how are you?
1: I'm good. Um, it's been a busy week. This is my third podcast in four days, um, wow. and it's been a delight. Did a W-rated one, which I didn't think was that bad, which is always very pleasant. <laughs> and then I got to go on rambling, ambling, and talk about Flintstones. And um, and now I am here talking about gorgeous women in even more gorgeous suits. So oh. like, feels like an embarrassment yeah. of riches.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's kind of, like, like, I don't know. Top it off with this i'm gonna i'm gonna lay my cards out on the table fairly easy before we get into some opening questions and say i found this film an absolute delight i uh, and,
1: and that's the perfect description for it it's, it is a delight
2: yeah i i uh, and i think i think there is a version of this film. i'll say this now and we can kind of maybe litigate it a bit more in the episode is there is a version of this film i think with a third of the budget that would definitely be material for your podcast like Mm -hmm. what what, what, what do you make of that
1: (laughs) no completely agree so we have um spoken off air about like different bits of research we've been doing and um one of the things that I was researching I listened to the podcast that at the time was called a simple podcast and they had Blake Lively on talking about the film and Mm -hmm. she was really really invested and like was really invested in so much of the look of the film and I and that Blake Lively has become so known with fashion. She, mm-hmm. you know, she's not just gorgeous, but she has a really keen eye for what is a good item of fashion, what works, what doesn't. And you see that throughout the film. Obviously there's amazing people also working with her behind the scene. But I think when you have a cast, like a whole cast and crew that are all equally as dedicated, mm-hmm. you can see it on the screen whereas yeah less talented director less um game cast Mm -hmm. and less talented set design costume design cinematography yeah and i mean the music even i feel like everyone turned up and did their best here whereas yeah can absolutely see if this had been a not to sham them but a little netflixy joint it it wouldn't have been (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got the... Yeah, yeah. If it was a Netflix joint, we got the woman in the window, right? We
3: haven't haven't (laughs) got... No, you've
1: got that one um, that was released in the summer with, like, Leighton Meester where she, like, goes on holiday and Mm. then kills a guy or something. Yeah, or there's that
2: TV show they did that I don't really think... I, I still don't believe it exists. Like, I think it's Lake Bell. No, no not Lake Bell. Uh, Kristen, Bell. Kristen the, Bell.
1: The woman in the house across the street from the wooden in the window or something ridiculous like that. Yeah,
2: like, you, you've got something like that where it is, like, more overtly a pastiche of this genre, and... um I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to hold it there because mm-hmm,
1: uh, mm-hmm. it's too tempting. It's to too just tempting run with to it. dive into this
2: <laughs> film. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I am, I, I'm already overtly worried that this could turn into like a megapod. But like, uh, <laughs> let, let, I would never do such a <laughs> thing. No, no, no. I've got the tendency to do it as well, especially if I'm, especially if I'm passionate about things. If people mm-hmm. listened last week, like, uh, you could very much hear I was happy to talk about anything but the film. Whereas this, I'm happy to fawn over like i'm, uh-huh. I'm almost jealous that um, <laughs> a simple podcast is a thing because yeah. uh diving into this film in a granular level
3: uh-huh.
2: must have been so much fun but um yeah. let, let me ask you before we yeah dive back into simple is when did you become aware of the Copler family so was there an entry point but when did you f- figure out those i don't know this yeah this ever expanding family almost like um, blake lively's character in this film
1: Mm -hmm. so i think i my entry point was earlier than i realized but me recognizing who they were probably would have been around um lost in translation with sophia coppola i think that was around the time i was getting into films and starting to broaden my film interests um i can't remember when that film came out but i know i was a teenager when it came out and it was a really big deal because she was nominated for awards as a woman. And I know that, like, that was a real talking point. And I remember, like, I feel like my mum, who wouldn't have been that into it, really didn't want me to have anything to do with the film industry, said, like, oh, she's a woman and she's directed it. And so it was, like, quite a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so then I became a little bit, I really loved that film. So then I became very interested in Sofia Coppola um, and followed kind of her career a little bit. Um and I think I knew that Nick Cage was involved, mm-hmm. and I knew that Sophia Coppola's dad was the guy that did the Godfather. <laughs> I don't think I well, and also because I'm aware of that because of the Gilmore Girls, say, so like to rewatch her death scene. I've still not seen a Godfather <laughs> film, <laughs> um, but and I knew Nick Cage was loosely connected to them. I had no idea it was as big as it is. And even like when you sent me the kind of family tree for my for today, I was like, Jesus, it just keeps going
2: there's just so many of them mm, yeah and it's a, it's, a, it's a weird thing as well that's been talked about on this podcast before it's like people who marry into the family mm-hmm. kind of seem to uh spawn off into things and like
3: yeah
2: i guess there's an aspect of even who we're talking about today with john swartzman like yeah. before i don't know you could argue before his his dad uh jack swartzman was a like attorney, I always get this attorney or an agent for like uh talent in in Hollywood. but it feels like when he married Talia Shire, there was a kind of changing point, like Jack mm-hmm. Schwartzman opened like a production company, and mm-hmm. it kind of felt very much like you could imagine Summers, and I know Sophia, especially, and like the kind of Jason Swartzman when they were kids, Francis would make them put on these plays at like their family estate and kind of say, hey, the weekend's activity is everyone gets to write a one-act play and then on Sunday we come into like the the screening room or like theatre room like yeah because they have that room in their house uh like, to, to what perform a
1: privilege what yeah. <laughs> like, i was like a real drama kid and i used to love when i'd get to go like if school submitted you and you could go off to a little like one day drama-y thing at a different school Like they were the best days so like mm-hmm. to imagine that that was just how like my summer's was spent being dragged around to different parks to watch my brother play football or watch my brother <laughs> play tennis, when all I wanted to do as a tiny little redhead was just like, sit in the car and read my book. Yeah. So, it... yeah, oh, the privilege. They, um, I mean, I bet there was probably a kid in that family that was like, I just want to play football.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all of them. <laughs> I think all of those kids who would have likely have been there. So imagine, like, Nick Cage would have liked, I don't know, maybe it would have been at mm. the 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 cool older cousin smoking cigarettes or something like that who wasn't that interested but um all of them yeah like they've they've had these weird Sophia especially and Roman had this weird life of just being on set for like mm. yeah Sophia Coppola like being I don't know weeks old is in The Godfather mm-hmm. as, as a baby being christened. <laughs> Like, it's kind of like in in this family's blood almost to kind yeah. of join the family Absolutely.
1: business. Well, and, it, and it's very old-fashioned because I think, I'm sure people talk to you about it a lot, but there's a real hatred for nepotism these days and there's big, like, oh, nepotism, nepotism, nepotism. Blah, blah, blah. But like, 50 years ago it was the done thing to do what your parents did you entered into your parents industry because that's mm. what you watched and that's what you learned and your parents helped you get your first job and then you made of that first job whatever you made of it mm. but you always feel a little bit bad when people were like is it um isn't there are a bunch of kids like kids of famous people that are all like making a movie together yeah. that was announced last year and the like the vitriol and the comments were so nasty mm-hmm. and I was like the jealousy of people, like, yeah, it's a bit silly, and it's like, oh, it must be really easy for them. But then there are equally pitfalls that come with having, you know, famous or workaholic parents. But I'm just like, of course, they've grown up watching their parents be mega successful at something that we all enjoy. Mm-hmm. Of course, they'd want to learn that trade. and I'm sure if they didn't want to learn that trade, they would have gone and done something else. Yeah, that- but if you grow up on those sets and you learn those skills and you know we've all backseat drove at some point, they're probably they're going oh dad i didn't like that shot she's done this until dad's like right here's a fucking camera go and make your own film like well
2: yeah when you're kind of last minute forced into acting in a film like sophia was with the godfather mm-hmm. part three after winona rider dropped out it's kind of if anything like you're kind of you're going to be there on the other side of it and i I think it's testament to her as well that it seems to be she very much is an actor's director Mm -hmm. and like it was this thing of i don't know not to say she had a bad experience on that but i think shied away from hollywood yeah for a long time tried to tried to find other avenues but there was like Mm -hmm. a calling back and yeah, yeah to your point of nepotism i always find it funny when it comes to like the creative arts especially it's seen as like a dirty thing yet mm-hmm. if if somebody says to you like oh there's this like family-run bakery that has been going for like four generations that's mm-hmm. like a mark of like wow it must yeah. be good
1: mm-hmm. well i mean one of my one of my closest friends her dad and her sister and her sister-in-law all work at their grandparents' old bakery oh uh-huh. yeah like and it's lovely and we're like, oh, that's so nice that like she went into the business and that she's kept it going. We're like, Oh, how lovely of her, how brilliant. Yeah, and
2: it's like, I don't know, the amount of companies you see that will be like, I don't know, Johnson and sons. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like carpenters. It's, it's,
1: it's an old it's an old tradition of following uh-huh. your parents' footsteps. So yeah, like it only makes sense that these people did. And yeah, I just nepotism is bad when someone else is more qualified and i guess it sucks because there's so many people out there that don't get afforded the same opportunity but at the same time if if they're talented at what they do because they've had those opportunities we'll just let them go with it
2: Mm. yeah and most of the time like it's unfortunately it's it's an epidemic that runs across any kind of business whether it is kind of nepotism in regards to family ties or I don't know what that. What's that classic saying? Uh, it's not what you know; it's who you know. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And like, the and that's of-
1: it. So like, Nick Cage's son, if he wants to be in a movie, and everyone's like, "Oh, he shouldn't be in that movie because it's nepotism," that's not going to help the poor disenfranchised kid from Hackney get in the film. It's just going to mean another rich white kid from LA gets the film.
3: Mm-hmm yeah 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 I don't,
1: don't yeah. know why i
2: turned this into a nepotism rather no it's it, it, it's it's great this is kind of the things we like to to peel back on this this podcast because i think it is kind of i don't know an area that is very complex and mm-hmm. neat i don't know I, I i i like to to get into it because yeah i think i i and sometimes like question my own thinking on it like i saw a, i saw a, Alana Haim and Sasha Spielberg, and that's having like a, releasing a podcast, and there mm-hmm. was like part of me, like as a podcast, be like. Oh, like, oh, yeah. don't know, no, we don't need, like, there was that element of, like, we don't need more famous people doing mm-hmm. podcasts. We don't need nepotism babies doing podcasts. I'm like, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's great. Do you know what I mean?
3: Like,
1: well, that, <laughs> and it's all dependent on quality. And so, like, again, you know, indie podcaster, I, the world doesn't need more podcasters, but here I am and I'm in the process of making a second one because, you know, why not? Yeah. Um, But, you know, when you look at celebrity podcasts, one of my favorite ones is, um, I've forgotten the name of it now, which is (laughs) Work in Progress by Sophia Bush, who is from One Tree Hill and Chicago Fire and and lots of other shows and films. And I adore it because she talks to a whole range. She talks to actors, but she talks to a whole range. She had like Hillary Clinton on and she has scientists on because she's really fascinated with the world, with social justice. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to hear different voices and see a different side of her. And hear from all of these voices because i wouldn't listen to a science podcast and i don't listen to political podcasts because i find them too overwhelming so this is a lovely entry point for me mm-hmm. yeah. because i went in going that's an actress i really like yeah. and i like that she cares about the environment but then she also does a secondary podcast about one tree hill with her one tree hill co-stars and i couldn't listen to it i found it awful just did not work for me yeah. because it just felt like they were all sitting in a circle patting themselves on the back and it felt messy <laughs> And i'm sure it got better as well because like the office ladies podcast god those early episodes were goddamn awful and now that's my comfort bedtime podcast that
2: uh that whole like boon of podcasts where it's like oh the stars of a show like do mm -hmm. a recap do a watch along yeah i i was i my heart just bled for all of these kind of like indie podcasters who've been slaving away for years like Doing the Dunder Mifflin podcast or something, yeah. and all of a sudden, it's it is... rough. It's rough.
1: <laughs> and that's it. And it, it's peaks and troughs. So it's a double-edged sword. Um, but I mean, it's the same with everything in the world, isn't it? Yes. Capitalism, it's the worst.
2: Yes. yes, 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 yes. So uh let
1: me ask you. Let me
2: ask you a question. I know. I know you've uh, attended film festivals and such. Like, have you ever? Have you ever met a Copler, Claire?
1: No, no, I have not. <laughs> I don't think I've ever. I'm the only kind of celeb person i've ever actually met um oh i've met a few at comic con but they were all kind of arrowverse dc people um the most famous person i've, I've met is nicholas holt who is not a cop.
3: amazing
1: English.
2: soon to be soon <laughs> soon to well next year will be discussed on this podcast
1: yeah he's about to have a connection
2: yeah he's about to have yeah he's worked with nicholas cage on renfield so uh we're we're, we're 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 in the spooky season so yeah um yeah it'd be great it'd be great to 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 talk about some Nicholas Holt um fantastic yeah he's fantastic I recently saw I think there was news that he's replaced Harry Styles in Robert Eggers Nosferatu and
1: yeah just all the vamp work vampires
2: yeah 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 he seems to be vampire adjacent a lot I love it yeah. um I it did leave me feeling though with that casting news of Oh, he would have been great in Don't Worry, Darling.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He would have been so good. Like I really liked Don't Worry, Darling. And I didn't think Harry Styles was half as bad as everyone was saying he was. I think he had a bankless part that he didn't have much to do with anyway. Um, the typical woman in most films. Um, but which we can talk about Henry Golding in this film, very similar. Um, but yeah, Nicholas Holt would have brought just so much to it it would have been
2: brilliant yeah i think him and bill scarsgard kind of have i don't know one... bill
1: scarsgard would have been too much
2: <laughs> he would and, have been he would have been believable as the uh, uh as the second a iteration yeah. Of, yeah. of 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 that character let's just leave it at because that of,
1: because of big little eyes and because of the film he was in last year the black and white film rebecca hall's film
2: oh um oh.
1: Beautiful film. Tessa
2: Thompson in it, is it like Yeah.
1: Yes. Can't I know what you're it, talking about. Yeah. He plays a husband and that again a really nasty piece of work. So I think he's now two almost typecast in that role. Yeah.
2: Cast him as Nosferatu. That's about right, isn't it? So mm-hmm, cast him as a, mm-hmm. a ghoulish vampire. That's yeah. that's what we need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Well, when he wasn't, he came from True Blood. So yeah, get
2: him back in those. Get him back. Get him back. It'd be a horror icon. He'll be a Boris Karloff of our day. He's mm-hmm. already done Pennywise. Let's give him Nosferatu. <laughs> yes, please. Um, so, oh, th- I'm mixing
1: my Scarlsgards up there then.
2: Yeah, you are Ale- Alexander skarsgard You're thinking I'm thinking, you're... thinking
1: of him. Bill Sparsgård's but see, I only know him as Pennywise. I have no attachment to him other than Pennywise. So I'm like he's just a clown.
2: Yeah, no, no. I think I think he's kind of I, I yeah, I, I, I he because he looks like a man out of time. Mm-hmm. I think he he, mm-hmm. he 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 would have been great. in don't worry, darling. Well, this ain't the Don't Worry, Darling podcast. Yeah. There's, there's, there's plenty of podcasts. I am for
1: available for Don't Worry, Darling podcast because <laughs> I really enjoyed that film.
2: <laughs> I will give a shout out to an amazing podcast called The First, um, who had similar feelings to me on don't worry darling i did not enjoy it as much as you claire uh, mm-hmm. but uh um yeah that they, they they had a fantastic kind of conversation and mm-hmm. really worked out some of the things around the film and kind of what i don't know what what what, what the film is itself so mm-hmm. um yeah let me ask you before we jump into talking about uh, a simple favor and when When or what would have been the first film that you would have seen that John Swartzman would have had um, an attachment to as the cinematographer?
1: So I believe it would have been uh, Meet the Fockers. Nice. Uh, 2004 meet the fuckers i can't remember if i saw that at the cinema or not but because i know i saw meet the parents at the cinema Mm -hmm. but i definitely remember then showing me my parents meet the parents when it was on at like christmas or something and i remember watching meet the fuckers at home with them so i think it definitely would have been that one followed by uh national treasure book of secrets but there was quite a gap between those two films so i think ben stiller at his most awkward would have been the one
2: Perfect, perfect. Um, well, let yeah, let's talk about a simple favor. But before we do, let's have a little listen to the trailer.
3: A few weeks ago,
2: I met Emily, this wonderful, elegant person. Our sons brought us together, actually.
3: Come here, little dude. Can we and Miles have a play date today? You drink? Your drink? Does your kid drink, Amy? I mean, it's never too
1: early to start teaching. I think you're joking, but great. Mon poisson rouge. Every time we do this, I feel so high tone. <laughs> <laughs> you want to trade confessions? No, no. Come on. What's the wildest
0: thing you've ever done? She is an enigma, my wife. You can get closer. I can never quite reach her.
3: She's like a beautiful ghost.
1: Did you just take my picture? Erase it. I guess I'm probably not the kind of person you're normally friends with. Oh, you do
3: not want to be friends with me. Trust me.
1: Stephanie, I need your help. Uh, are you okay? I'm fine, but I I do need just a a simple
0: favor. Can you come over? Yeah. Five days ago, Emily went missing. I warn you, you go poking around in her past, you're gonna find something that is terrifying. She was not a normal person like you or me. I've never seen such a beautiful girl want to be so invisible. I smell her, Sean. I smell her perfume like a ghost. Yeah,
2: it's just you being paranoid. I
0: saw my mom. She told me to say hi to Stephanie.
2: Aware that he took out an extra four million dollar life insurance policy on Emily before she disappeared.
3: People do terrible things for their own reasons.
0: He thought you knew more than you were letting off. I want to know your secret.
2: Let's get into some stats on this film. The budget was $20 million with a box office return of $97.6 million. This film was released on September 14th, 2018. Claire, would you like to do us the pleasure of giving us a synopsis of what this film is all about?
1: Yeah, uh, so repressed single mother Stephanie makes an unexpected bond with enigma it girl maybe (laughs) emily through their sons uh, at the same school after bonding emily asks stephanie a simple favor um to mind her son however she never returns to pick him up and remains a missing person stephanie finds herself embroiled in emily's relation emily's life taking on the role of mother wife and taking on take words (laughs) <laughs> Let's reverse that. Uh finds herself embroiled in Emily's life, taking on the role of wife and mother within Emily, Emily's family. When she consents that maybe Emily isn't all gone, she starts to investigate this disappearance and unravels all of Emily's darkest secrets.
2: Oh that is perfect. That's a that, that that's a that's a that's a physical media release synopsis right there. It's <laughs> got, got, got me enticed. to know more about this film uh so when did yeah when did you first see this was was this something you were anticipating were you were you kind of on the hype train for this film
1: i was anticipating it i do remember the hype in that i remember blake lively like deleted her entire instagram and Mm -hmm. replaced it with just like some pictures that said where's emily because that was the original name of the film with something like emily's gone missing or where is emily before they changed it to a simple favor I do you remember all of that, and a big Blake Larley fan and a big Anna Kendrick fan. Um, and then I missed it at the cinema because I had some life stuff going on, <laughs> um, but I caught up with it the January after, so just a couple of months pretty much when it became available on home release, um, and was a fan from the beginning.
2: Nice, nice. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you first off is, does that trailer, like listening to that trailer back now, having just like watched the film last night. How do you feel like, obviously you you probably watched it before then, uh, but like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, how do you think that trailer sells this film to what it actually is? Does it missell it in any way?
1: A little bit. I think it gets definitely the plot line right and it it misses that comedic tone because that that tone is in the film, but Mm. it's paired with comedy and there's very little comedy in that trailer.
2: Mm. yeah it's kind of like it it feels like that trailer is selling this as the films that i guess would be the the counterparts to this uh, around mm-hmm. that time we would have had gone girl and um, girl on the train girl on the train yeah so there would have been those like oh mystery like what what's happening mm-hmm. kind of i don't know like tense for thrillers but this is something all together different right what was your kind of initial impressions having watched this film what did what did you kind of expect having kind of i I imagine you would have known paul feig's work at this point and kind of the, the stars work like what did you expect this to be going in the first time if you can remember
1: see that so I don't know if I knew it was a Paul Feig film Mm -hmm. until the end I don't know if that was something I was relatively like aware of and I also think I had that kind of because I saw it more on home release I think by that point I was aware it was a bit silly Mm -hmm. so I knew that it was kind of lighter than one of those dark films um so yeah i think it, it it matched the expectations i had because my expectations had already been altered between the initial release and my eventual watching it
2: like yeah that's really because i i went into this film I, like for my sins it, i literally watched it for the first time this week oh. and uh, i've been like i've been i i managed to be relatively uh blind to what this film was about. Cause I think back in September yeah, September 2018, I was very much kind of in a fallow period of being online and kind of keeping up to date with films. Uh, a couple of months after this I would I would have a child. So I would be mm-hmm. very much kind of like off the radar for a good yeah. few months in, <laughs> in keeping up to date with films. And this is one that really kind of slipped me by. But having watched it there's that element of like ah oh, it's so good to find like i don't know i don't know how you feel about it but i love it when i just see a film like even if it's like something someone who recommends me or i just find a film and i'm like ah oh, that was so great Like, i loved it like i don't know yeah there's that
1: like, i think it's Personally, for me, anyway, I think it's brilliant for all the reasons that it shouldn't be brilliant, and for what I'm imagining is a lot of the reasons that the other people might not think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Though it seems to, I think especially, I think it was never seen badly or released. It just didn't hit. Whereas it seems to have been really picked up through home release and streaming and stuff. And it seems to like fans kind of keep growing. Um, but I love the perversion of it. Just, it's like delicious perversion. It's nothing too bad it's
3: it's fun i don't know
2: i don't know there's there's some incest in this film Claire. Come on, not,
1: <laughs> do you uh, not feel like though around this time incest was having a real moment
2: um what 2018 as i said yeah. i was kind of i was kind of off
3: I was kind you were of, busy like, not yeah, happy bit, I,
1: yeah <laughs> um I just, like, she the Game of Thrones stuff. Mm, yes. There was, like, a Tom Hardy show called, like, Zelda or something that I think was, like, kind of incest-y.
2: Taboo. Uh, yeah, yeah, Taboo. taboo. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There was incest Yeah, there was that. Yeah. There was definitely, I'm sure, something else. I mean, the soaps oft have a little incest storyline going on. Um I've definitely watched something recently that had incest and I was a bit annoyed because I was almost rooting for the incest and it annoyed me and then there was like a while around the time this film came out I read a whole young adult's fiction book about incest and it was very (laughs) like pro the incest Um, I think it was called Forbidden if you really want to like mess with your brain that's a weird book I believe you can read it all online for free um but I just feel like at that time because it's such a taboo I think people are always trying to push those final taboos I don't think it's one we should push I think it's taboo for a reason mm-hmm. um but I'm really really bugging me what the incest thing i of what recently is I going remember <laughs> it at like four in the morning um but yeah like I feel like people were pushing those boundaries just to see what can we do and what can be pushed um because now like it feels like now the big thing is cannibalism. I feel like in the last year, two years I've seen a lot of just cannibal content.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. None more so than obviously what the most the second most watched thing ever on Netflix now is the Jeffrey Dahmer. Um Yeah. Yeah. And I I for my sins am one of those numbers just because curiosity killed this cat. Mhm. Mhm. Uh, I felt dirty doing it. I've watched all ten episodes of it. <laughs> anyway,
1: um, this this wasn't real incest because he was only her half brother.
2: I've got half brother and sister, <laughs> and I'm telling you that's no, no. incest. <laughs> Stephanie
1: Stephanie was very adamant it doesn't really count because he's a half brother.
2: It's a half brother who happened to look the spitting image of her dad from thirty years ago. So it's fine. It's totally ago. fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh to add but that whole like i don't know why there's i think it's that there's elements of this film because of i think the like genre bending and that like incest plot that very much reminded me and i i may be the only person who will ever say this reminded me of like um like a lot of like japanese and like south korean movies in that way Mm. that they kind of like you know, like a Park Chan work with like old boy or 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 yep. uh, something like that will kind of do you know what I mean, like uh, it mess it, it, with it, genre and stuff like that and kind of will kind of go on them taboos and stuff like that.
1: And it's kind of thrown in very casually. I mean yeah. it's brilliant because it, it's the key to unlocking who Stephanie is, because Stephanie is so repressed and so in saying she's got a little vlog and she's the perfect mom but she does it all on her own and she makes it work and she's thrown into this um relationship friendship with emily and you have to to make the film work you have to understand why on earth like you can see why stephanie would be enamored with emily but you have to think other than using her and that whole joke about oh she doesn't know she's doing work for free because she's their nanny like why would emily want stephanie around and so the the brotherfucker is and like the 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 darkness in that and like you can tell how much stephanie's character like loved her brother and enjoyed having him around and having the sordid dark mm. passion with him that's the key to unlocking her because suddenly emily's like you know i think she even says it like you're a dirty little freak or something like that mm-hmm. and it's like and it makes then the whole it makes stephanie's trajectory of then Taking Emily's life and sleeping with Emily's husband and dressing up as Emily, it makes that work. It's like, oh, Stephanie has no interest in Henry Golding because Henry Golding is lovely and attractive. She has it because it's the wrong thing to do. And she likes that. She gets off on the twisted perversion of, mm. yeah, I am going to fuck my best friend's husband. Yeah. he's Like his wife just disappeared and went missing, but I'm defo going to fuck him. And like... <laughs> It's it's that like she's so hyper focused and intense because clearly she is deep down just absolute messed up little psychopath so she over like overcompensates with the hyper focus. Well,
2: who is the more twisted one in this? Is it is it Stephanie or or is it Emily? Like who is the kind of like yeah who is that one who's got more of a screw
1: loose? I almost want to say Stephanie. I mean, I know it is Emily. Mm-hmm. But I really do think it's Stephanie.
2: Yeah, there's, there's there's that something that's like, and I love the way that this film kind of sets it up. So, like, in those kind of early stages, we get this kind of prissy, perfect mum, do you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. and, and the way that it's kind of told in the film of, like, she's happy to sign up for everything uh-huh. on the kind of, like... Um, activity day or something but
1: it's because it. she knows that she's not busy she's gonna go fuck the janitor in the closet <laughs> girl's a freak
2: but i i i, I love that the film kind of like and it, it, the, what the film does really well and through like paul feig and yeah jessica shah's um yeah paul feig's directing and, and jessica shah's writing is pills like back the layers very quickly because i was kind of like i don't know like i didn't know what, as I said, I, I I didn't know much about this film going in. So, like, I didn't know what to expect whether, like, her character at the beginning, she very much seems like a kind of Nancy, jo- Nancy Drew, like...
1: Mm-hmm. And she's got the little colourful cardies.
2: Yeah, like, is she? Is, is this film going to be, like, her friend goes missing and it's this kind of, I don't know, she gets in a bit in over her head trying to, like figure out the mystery but then kind of like left turns you of like oh no stephanie's like just as fucked up as emily Mm -hmm. but like and there's this battle between the the working mom and the stay at home Mm -hmm. mom and like how they're almost two sides of the same coin in a way those two characters and
3: it's worked.
1: very desperate housewives, which I think is why I loved it because it's got that camp desperate housewives sensibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, uh, I, I looked
2: and there's like yeah, people, people am friends of like uh, Daryl from the Sudden Double Deep podcast. Like, I read his review and like the reasons he didn't like this film, and like it's not to not to call him out. Like, it's obviously it's what I think many people would take against this film for, is that kind of. I don't know the the tonal shifts and the butting mm-hmm. up of genres and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's the reason I love this and that kind yes. of soapy aspect to it is something I I don't know, I, I I quite enjoy in my like entertainment. It's like, the high large, camp.
1: It's, yeah, high camp and just just larger than life, but just on that edge of still mildly believable.
2: Yes, I think that's what this film does amazingly well. Right, is that kind of like it's heightened, but you can you can buy into these like i totally bought into stephanie as a character and they like there's like a <laughs> sadness to her from the get-go as well like i don't yeah. know like not that all vloggers are sad like but you always there, there there is like an aspect of that like um sadness of a clown thing like people i always think and it's having the same like runs for just anyone who kind of puts themselves out there like i know i have moment so it's like on the podcast I'm like yeah woohoo like get up and go like positive positive but then you have that moment like i don't know, normally after the zoom call is ended where i'm like oh. Do you know what i mean? I can uh, I don't think i can express it more than just that that sound <laughs> of like oh no and there is like an inherent sadness i think to yeah to anyone who kind of puts themselves out there into the world, and uh, I, I may be. I think,
1: wrong that, but... no, I think the film does a really great like way of showing us how lonely she is straight from the get go. You know, there's hints that she struggles for money a little bit, there's you know, hints that she's very lonely, and that she doesn't have much connection outside of her vlog and her son, and like it never really tells us until towards the end how successful or unsuccessful her vlog is but you kind of get the sense that when the kid goes to school she goes home and that's all she has
2: yeah and like she she lets us know quite early on as well when she's explaining to um emily that her husband and her brother who we we realize was also her lover um <laughs> died in a car crash and like the money is gonna run out in what two years time basically for like, yeah and it's kind of like she's she's yeah she's she's destined for destitute like in that time like in it in a in a weird way and is that i don't know there's that there's that there's great interplay between them as well where they're they're both kind of, I don't know, they're both kind of fucked, right? Like they're both oh, kind definitely. of like financially fucked. Like, uh, Well,
1: they're both financially fucked, but then they're also are emotionally fucked because Stephanie has all of the, just the normal grief of losing your husband and your brother at such a young age, all in one day and being a single mother. But then obviously she feels personally responsible for their deaths because she was having this affair with her brother and we don't know if her son who his dad really is and then um emily has the guilt of like she killed her father and ran away from her twin sister mm-hmm. and is like living this other life and so they both have like a deep a, a fucked up familial life and guilt about you know damage they caused to the ones they loved the most
2: mm-hmm can you can you think back to when you first saw this and like the kind of I don't know like did can you pinpoint like yeah, you, you don't rewatch can you pinpoint like a moment where the tone shifts in this because like there's some, like, I've watched a couple of films lately and I I messaged you off off air saying there's a there's a Jonathan Demme film I'm sure listeners would have seen this uh something wild which like has for my money one of the best like kind of midway through the film just kind of there's a lighting change and it's like all of a sudden it's a different film and this film like i don't know kind of insidiously and slowly does it to us right like all of a sudden it's like I oh, i'm
1: in the, a different film the, the first time you really notice it and it jars you because it jars stephanie because for so much of the start of the film stephanie is our avatar is when she takes the picture of emily
2: yes yeah, that's,
1: that's the first big oh, and, like
2: whoops. Yeah, it makes you sit up, right? You kind of like, yeah. like when when she's like, erase that, like, and she's like, I I I don't give a fuck about your yearbook. I'll fuck you up, kind of thing.
3: It's yeah, like, he's
2: like, yeah, yeah. That moment does kind of, ah, and it's I don't know, it's great. I think like, yeah, I I just want to take a little moment to kind of like talk about this in the the. The pantheon of uh Paul Feig's filmography, because I think mm-hmm. that's a kind of vital point to this, is because I don't know this is a guy who is most famous for most people for Bridesmaids. I know, like that's uh, literally like my my parents' favourite film. Like,
1: mm-hmm. Good taste.
2: Any chance, like my if I, if I hear like my stepdad howling downstairs. I know he's watching the changing room scene from Bridesmaids. <laughs> like, they, they absolutely love it. But, like, yeah, so he's got Bridesmaids of the Heat, um, Spy and Ghostbusters. Before this is kind of, like, mm-hmm. his his big hitters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this film's somewhat of a left turn as well, right?
1: Yeah, so like he's spoken about, um, he got offered it and he loves thrillers. Thrillers are his favourite genre. Or one of his favorite genres. So he was really excited, but
3: he also wanted it to be a Paul movie.
2: <laughs> what, 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 what I love about that as well, and I've heard him, heard him express this in interviews, is whatever genre he kind of works in. And I think, like, yeah, you look at Spy, for instance, he takes the spy story seriously. Like, it's not, it never feels like he's kind of condescending to the genre itself. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like the jokes come from the the characters and like almost like the absurdity sometimes in the the tropes of a genre. Not kind of like somebody who's on the outside sneering looking in. Like I'm you you you've you've probably talked about this more than anyone with like the spoof movies. And Mm -hmm. we've talked about it together. Like those films are made from people who have no affection for the genre. It's not, it's not
1: even affection. They don't have interest in the genre.
2: <laughs> exactly. And like, I, uh, this might be a weird touch point, but like a show like People Just Do Nothing, it's made by guys who kind of have an affection for that subculture and that genre of music mm-hmm. that they're kind of aping. And I think that's what makes that show and paul feig's films like ultimately really effective and successful is the fact that they're taking that yeah that the genre trappings seriously and like and i think this film like is a perfect example of that because it, it is a thriller Do you know what i mean it just happens to be funny in places and thrillers inherently are
1: quite funny.
2: Like, I don't know, yeah. as po-faced as they can be.
1: Absolutely. This just leans all the way into the ridiculousness of it all, which I love.
2: <laughs> um, So where does this, like, kind of, yeah, like, was this, like, a I don't know, like, once you realised this was a Paul Feig movie, was this kind of a bit of a surprise for you in any way, or were you kind of like,
1: oh, it's great no. to see No. It made sense. And I feel like Paul Feig is probably one of my favourite working directors. Now, I say that with a pinch of salt. I don't think he makes the best films I've ever seen, but I consistently enjoy his films. And I think sometimes that's more important. Like, there are directors who've made, like, La La Land. I adore La La Land. I think La La Land is the favourite movie I've ever seen. Whiplash, brilliant. First man, what were you doing? Where were you? There was no passion. There was no, there was nothing. There was no spark. It was It was dull. It was dead. I know I'm somewhat alone in that, but um, whereas Paul Feig, even his films that I'm like, that was like last Christmas. Went to see last Christmas at the cinema. Well, it was a very pleasant time. Probably not going to ever rewatch it. But if someone was like, oh, should I give it a watch? I'd be like, oh yeah, it's nice. It's sweet. Like, I feel like, He's got a really lovely consistency and I like what he does with films. I like what he does with his female characters. I hate that a male director writes some of the best female characters and best female relationships that I've seen in film. Like Annie in Bridesmaids is me. I am her. (laughs) I've never felt so seen by a character and it, like, obviously there's female writers and he, I think that's how it works because he does often work with female writers. So he has that collaboration. He has women behind the camera with him. He puts women in the front of the screen. Um, and yeah, like I adore Bridesmaids. Um, Ghostbusters. I remember seeing it in the cinema and I was like, that was decent. Like, don't know what the fuss is about. I thought it was funny. Uh, since, you know, Awakenings happened with uh, Kate McKinnon's character, you know, wasn't sure what was happening there. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, in a very good way. Um, but I've rewatched that film so many times. It's become a proper little comfort movie for me. Uh-huh. And I actually get really defensive about it now. And I'm like, it is by no means the best film that was ever made. But it's a good film. It's a fun film. It's a nice film. And he writes or also directs or casts such good himbos. Just stupid men who don't do anything but sit there and be dressing furniture on the arms of women. Mm-hmm. And like about fucking time. Yeah. We have 90 hundred years of women femme fatale, not even femme fatale, it's just women housewives at home. You like, know, okay, yes, sir, like no problem. Yeah. I'm like, I love the twist of it. I love the feminism behind these movies. And I love the female friendship. And like, I think that's like the the perverted female friendship between Stephanie and Emily is so amazing. And the, the sexual chemistry the hatred the envy the jealousy is all embroiled in a big tangled mess that is so real in intense female friendships I've been in so many intense female friendships where I'm like do I love you do I hate you do I want to be you like what Mm -hmm. what are we what's happening here um and see I think he's a mastermind at doing that and so yeah watching this and then going back and realizing he did it and seeing his other films and see, I, I've seen the heat and spy. I think only once each, but again, the heat especially has that real complex female friendship in it. Like, I just think.
2: And spy has that like himbo aspect. Yeah. You get like Jason so, Statham, like playing like an absolute idiot. Like.
1: Absolute idiot. <laughs> so, yeah. I think he gets my humor, yeah. him and Peyton Reed again, Peyton Reed, I don't think the man deserves an Oscar, but I fucking love his work. Like they just give me the goods that I want in a nice package with good actors and pretty costuming, and I get my, I get my, I get my giggles, my giggles. I'm happy.
2: Yeah, I think there's something about like Paul Feig, and like there's something he said like in regards to it's a not like I can I, I can definitely imagine how it would be annoying that like one of the I don't know yeah one of the best directors out there for like kind of female centric movies happens to be a man's. Like yeah. but yeah. I think something that speaks to his sensibilities and something he's opened up to on um a simple podcast and has been said about him is he's somebody who feels deeply uncomfortable filming sex scenes. Like mm-hmm. which like I don't I think tells us everything we need to know about like kind of his attitude towards women and like kind of him being i don't know kind of an outlier within like hollywood like especially yeah. when he's playing within this genre of film which obviously could like teeter into like this could easily as 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 we said in that intro like given half the budget and like lesser talent this could have easily been a like a kind of steamy Really bad, erotic thriller.
1: Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They really could have lent into the Seeing shadows of Emily around the corner as Stephanie's fucking her husband.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, dream sequences of, like, Henry Golding's character. Like, do you know what I mean? He's he's, he's, he's fucking Emily, but then, like, Mm -hmm. it kind of snaps out, and it's Stephanie, and, like... Oh, good. There would be so
1: many... There'd be so many
2: bad sex scenes and there'd definitely be a shower sex scene. 100%, which like perfectly ties into John Swartzman because I think it's something we we need to talk about. This is a guy who directed Fifty Shades Darker, uh, directed, uh, was the cinematographer on Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Freed. And I think (laughs) that like really ties into this film like and like it kind of feels like a genius stroke on paul feig because for my money this yeah 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 this is their first time working together mm-hmm. and it feels like a conscious choice and i'd love to know from paul feig if it was mm-hmm. to get to get john schwartzman having what he would have just come off the back of 50 shades freed at this point
1: Point. yeah
2: so like to get him well and involved... the
1: film i don't know if you covered it yet but the film in the middle of that the unicorn is about a couple who go off to try and have like a sex-filled night
3: oh no no
1: and really... um, yeah I, I watched it last year or something and like they they basically like they want a threesome which is what the unicorn is like the third mm. person and they like try having sex with loads of different people throughout one night so like The
2: man's a bit kinky. Yeah, and I think he's 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 uh filmed Victoria's Secret commercials and stuff like that as well. So it's like And and it's somebody who kind of cut his teeth like in the big time of being the cinematographer on like Michael Bay films, so like The Rock and Armageddon and Mm -hmm. Pearl Harbor. So like knows big and flashy, but at the same time knows like uh I don't know, like yeah, has managed to encapsulate something like in this film. And, like, yeah, what do you think of the kind of visuals of this film? Because I think it's kind of interesting that for the genre it is, it's very bright.
1: Yeah. And that was a bit of a deliberate part on that subversion, but also apparently Paul Fee just likes to wrap and go to dinner. He doesn't like working at night.
2: <laughs> I love it. He's like, I'm wearing this nice suit all day. Like, yeah. I, I, I just want to be able to, to go out to a nice restaurant and, and show it off.
1: And I love that. I think we all need more of that. Like, just you know, let's get this wrapped so everyone can go and have a nice dinner and get home to the the cat, the dog, the kid, the partner, the Netflix queue, whatever you're going home to. For me, it's a sad bed and my husband's cat. Um, but like that, that subversion works because you're subverting the genre by putting comedy in it. You're subverting the typical story because it's women and not men, and that the man is the useless thing, and the women aren't fighting over him either neither of them want Sean they're fighting over like who gets to have the mystery and who gets to be the most clever and who gets to be the alpha is basically what this film is it's it's Emily igniting something in Stephanie that makes her remember she can be an alpha and Emily's sister Faith igniting something in Emily that makes her remember oh I'm a beta I'm not a real alpha and then it's um, um, Stephanie gets this power just as Emily loses it and it's a tug of war and I think then that the visuals completely again just subvert all of it you've got the gorgeous colours you've got the playing with the light you've got like it, it feels just like Desperate Housewives used to.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It feels like well, nothing bad could happen in a t- place like this because it's just so lovely. And if you just get your kids to the right school and you make them the right food, what could possibly go wrong? And I think they really play into that, and it works for me. It works a hundred percent, and it helps that the costumes are
3: delightful. Yes. Uh,
2: we'll, we'll get onto the costumes. Yeah, I think to, to, to touch on this thing of like the light. The thing I find like scariest in horror films is like stuff that happens during the day mm-hmm. or like brightly lit. So, like, I don't know, the, the, the Shining, it's not the scariest film I've ever seen, but like, I remember the first time watching that and being really unsettled. I watched it during the day, but the fact that like it's all brightly lit, it's like there's no like escape from the malevolence. The, Do you know what I mean? The, like,
1: the scene and i don't think it's even a horror but um split and split opens with his character abducting the two girls in a parking lot in the middle of the day mm-hmm. that's fucked me up like yeah. i hate getting in my car now i hate getting in my car if there's not people around i like if i ever like sometimes i like run to my car and i click the lock down which you're not meant to drive the doors locked in case you're in an accident but i'm like what if he's in the back of my car and I'm like, how dare they I cannot believe they did that to me. I cannot believe they set that scene in the daylight. (laughs) Like it's ruined my life. And so, yeah, like I love, I love playing with that idea of what is day and what is night and dark and light. And, you know, it's, it's a film about moms. So (laughs) of, of course it's going to be set in the day. That's when moms are most active. That's when they get this shit done
2: yes yes as a, as a single dad yeah that is when I, I don't know no i get most of my stuff done at night once he goes yeah, to bed yeah, i'm like because
1: you're what? a dad <laughs> like my dad was a stay at home parent we went to school and he sat and read a book all day then we'd come home from school and make his dinner and then when he, we got sent to bed then he'd do stuff because he was like why would i clean during the day you're only going to come back after school and mess it all up <laughs>
3: you've
2: you've just you've just figured it all out you've just yeah that's what dad's do on there i'm there as soon as he goes to bed right i'll tidy up the living room pull the toys away and yeah yeah if
1: you do it when they're at school they're only going to come back from school
2: yes yes (laughs) um i guess one thing i need to ask you about this film is have you since or yeah have you read the novel that this is based on at all
1: i have not but i have a friend who has my friend i don't know how she found the novel she just happened to be reading it, and she was telling me about it, and she'd never seen the film. And I, like, I remember asking her things about it. And I think at the time she hadn't got to the brother fuck a bit. I'm, I'm, I'm certain the brother a bit is in the book as well. But she was like she was like oh, and she was telling me like how weird the book was. It was a conversation so long ago, so unfortunately I don't remember most of it. But then I do remember when she watched the film, she texted me, and she was like, oh my god, it was like wildly different. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so there's aspects of, of the book that are different. I haven't, I haven't read it myself, but from like um, researching, there is like a whole subplot where Emily gets Stephanie to kill the like insurance agent mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. as
2: well, and like they frame Sean for it. And Paul Feig said, "Oh no, I don't do, I don't do like twisted endings." <laughs> like I, that's that that that's not me like we don't do these kind of twisted endings i am very
1: glad though that they cut his original ending much as i love the man that was a, that would have been a terrible ending i'm glad they cut it
2: so yeah for, for listeners who may be uh worry wondering what that original ending is what what is it
1: well yeah because it was two but the main one was that it ends in a flash mob and um, at the school and all the characters apart from Emily are there and Sean proposes to Stephanie and she says yes and it's like no 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 Stephanie would not end up with Sean never like the only reason she ever had any interest in Sean was because she wanted the house and the clothes and to dress up and play Emily Mm -hmm. and Sean just happened to be the Ken doll that came with that yes and it's very glad that they put that in and again I think it adds to that like barbed wire friendship the tension between her and emily of do i want to be with you or be you mm-hmm. and i think i think she decides it's that she wants to be her but then i think you know at the end we get when she d- does a little mommy bug she's become both of them she's taken all of the best parts but kept all of her good parts and like she's in her own independent woman mm-hmm. and hopefully Di- dating a guy with that
2: looks like a dad in the city. Well, that's what it said. I love that this film has like a kind of postscript, like mm-hmm. a kind of like like based on it. Do you know what I mean? Normally, you get like based on a true story stuff where it's like so and so went on to like go to college and get their <laughs> dream job, I'm like this, this. This film does it. Well, do you know about the 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 like deleted scene? I don't. I don't even think makes it onto the the home release of this.
1: Is this the one in the prison?
2: Yes. Well, are you, are you, would would you have liked the inclusion of that? It, or I don't know, especially in the days we're living in now. Like, would you have wanted that as a as a post credits or a mid credits sting?
1: To be honest, I think it's better without it. I don't think that would have ruined it. Like the the flash dance flash mob would have ruined the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. Emily, um, Stephanie goes to see Emily in prison and we find out that they're working together for Stephanie's mystery solving cold case business and Emily's helping her from the inside and it's implied that they have a really great relationship now. I definitely don't think that, that would ruin the film but I think the film the ending is much neater and nicer without it and whilst I love this film it does have a tendency to start to unravel at times it's tied together but the tied togetherness is fragile and I do think that might just be one little bit too far that would make it start to splurge.
2: So I feel like that scene like I feel like we're going to see that scene because Am I right in thinking, like, from, from my reading, that there is a sequel for this coming?
1: So I got the impression that they all want to make a sequel, but that no one's asked them to.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah, I know there's, like, a lot of, like, because it's, it's even listed on IMDb as, like, I kind of, I don't know, like...
1: Oh, no, it was announced in May as this year. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So it Hell is coming. Oh, yes.
1: I thought that was, like they were like, oh my God, I hope we can do a sequel. I hope we
2: can do a sequel. Oh, amazing. And I feel like that scene is going to either, it's going to come back in like one of these great And I think like some of the moments I love in this is when we get somebody telling a story of something and we get that juxtaposition
1: mm-hmm. of
2: like what actually happened. And I think like, Yeah,
1: so like, Emily what? saying how she didn't, how her sister died and she, you know, she she went out and she overdosed. Yes. And you're like, no, nah, you killed her. But yeah, that's such brilliant filmmaking and brilliant editing.
2: Yeah, and Paul Feig uh, said on in an interview uh, on a simple podcast, like, it was his editor with the brother fucker scene mm-hmm. who kind of assembled it in a way of seeing it at the same time. And he's like, oh, no, 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 where's... We're supposed to like learn this when Emily learns it. And He's like, no, 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 watch it again. And like, Paul Feig had this revelation of like, oh no, that is that is great. It kind of like undercuts the untrustworthy narrator, like, and we we're we as an audience get to feel like we're really smart, like we're a yeah. step ahead of the characters in the movie, which sometimes like is a massive dis- disservice. But I think in this film works really great like we almost feel like i don't know. like
1: and i think as well because i think it complements the book because the book has a lot of unreliable narration in it but i think the brilliant thing is we get to feel smart but we also get such an insight into their brains because they're not lying to the person they're talking to. They're lying to themselves. Mm-hmm. So we get that insight. Like they are telling that story so that they think that's what happened and they believe and that's their memory. And again, it gives us, you know, because Emily's such an enigma of a character. Um, she doesn't really get much time on screen. So those key scene, those scenes are so key. And um, you know, we get to hear what she hoped had happened, and mm-hmm. we get to see the real thing, and and see what are the bits that she kept the same and what bits did she change Mm. i find it it,
2: i find it crazy that they had blake lively for three weeks Mm. like i
1: can't believe that
2: (laughs) it's insane right that that she she did three weeks on this movie and as you said earlier so invested in it and kind of like Mm. i don't like and what what what's great about it is I know this is a part of the story, but like she's felt throughout the rest of the film, even when she's mm-hmm. not on screen. And like, it's kind of like when you kind of like break it down, you're like the scene she's in, you're like, oh yeah, you probably could do that in three weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah, really not in it much. Um, and the, the part, the reason she they only had three weeks is because she has an agreement with Ryan Reynolds that when one of them works, the other one doesn't, but she so wanted to do this film I think he was doing Deadpool 2 is what they said on the podcast Mm -hmm. that like she managed to scrape together the three weeks to get it done because she so desperately wanted to do it and I think it is it's great how much Emily does haunt the scene she's on because the scene she's in you can't look away from her I know Anna Kendrick's there but I cannot look at anyone but Emily and the suits like she's stunning there's such like a an attractive, sexy, masculine energy while she's at the same time because she's baked lively. So feminine mm. and gorgeous. And like we're all, definitely, we all want her to embrace us and take us under her, you know, caped wing. <laughs> but then, so then when she's not there, it, it's like you've been, it's like when you take down the Christmas decorations and for the first week after that, you're like, where'd the pretty tree go? Yes. Like every time you come in the room, you're like, this room doesn't feel as nice anymore like that's that's the film
2: yeah so like with Blake Lively like am am I right in assuming you were probably a a gossip girl fan I was (laughs) I was
1: there from the beginning I kept going through the writer's strike I kept going through the ridiculousness um in fairness Blake ended up not being the best one on it but I also know she really wanted to get off the show as well. and um, it really became Leighton Nista's show. Um as Blair Waldorf. off. Shout out to Leighton Nista. What a what a woman. Um but yeah, I was a gossip girl, kind of through and through, had the DVDs. So I knew her from that. And then I think I had seen her in Green Lantern and then it's Age of Adeline.
2: Yeah, I one. I remember like enjoying that like being pleasantly surprised Age of by that is
1: such a sweet movie yeah, yeah. It, it, it's just it's not very good it's so schmaltzy and so ridiculous but it's just nice and you know what's not i love harrison ford when harrison ford lets us see emotion and you really get to see like genuine emotion in harrison ford in that movie and you don't see that enough um so yeah i think Gossip Girl, Green Lantern, Age of Adeline were the main ones. I had then gone back and watched the Sisterhood of Travelling Pants films and she was fine in them. Very different to Gossip Girl character. But so this this both made loads of sense, her portrayal Emily, and equally absolutely no sense. Like, mm. It makes no sense because she's stunning and she's gorgeous and she's so good at red carpets. And she has her like ridiculous, like her and Ryan Reynolds, when they do post online, seem to have really dark humour with each other. But then she just comes in and you're like, oh my God, she is the most important woman in the world. Yeah. She is. She is. (laughs) Yes.
3: Like
2: intimidating. You very much do get that thing. And even even as a man watching this film, it's like, do I want to sleep with her? Do I want to like, do I want to work for her in some Mm -hmm. capacity? Like you can totally buy the fact that like Stephanie gets like duped into this thing. And I think like, and shout outs to uh an actor I particularly love, Andrew Reynolds. Who, oh, I
1: love Andrew Reynolds.
2: Oh, like such a delight in this film. And like he has that great line. He's like, oh, she doesn't know she's working mm-hmm. for free. Like yeah. I like <laughs> and it's kind of like but like you could totally buy into that thing of like there is that mystique, that that cool person you meet mm-hmm. and you're like oh yeah, before you know it, I'm running errands for this person. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I think, yeah, it's it's totally, and Blake Lively is perfect casting Mm -hmm. for that. I think, like, somebody who's got, like, um, I don't know, like, is a big name, but at the same time, like, isn't, isn't like a marquee yeah. star do you know what I mean it's not like she's, she's got an, she's a
1: big name more because of her personal life than anything else yeah
2: which is like quite interesting And I think like what this film does well and it, it speaks to Anna Kendrick as well is is using both of their public personas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like uh, I know something that's like dissected a lot on a simple podcast uh, i've already on social mm-hmm. media shouted out this podcast because uh, <laughs> i knew that we were probably going to talk about it quite yeah. quite, quite it's a, a great bit podcast yeah, what is the, it's the source text for this film right uh-huh. <laughs> um
1: absolutely yeah
2: but like uh, yeah anna kendrick to this point like i think i would have possibly seen her in oh what i would have seen her in Scott Pilgrim versus the world and Picture Perfect, yeah. Yeah.
1: And maybe
2: Twilight. I. She's in Twilight
1: for, I think, four minutes. (laughs)
2: But, like, maybe a bit more. What what do you think to the way that this film kind of uses and subverts those personas that both of them kind of have? Like, and I know that Paul Fegas said, like, in real life, they are totally different. Like, Anna Kendrick kind of has this, I don't know, twisted, like kind of R-rated sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Blake Lively doesn't really swear. He said like, I guess, I guess, that kind of social media uh, persona very much is tying into the this persona that Ryan Reynolds has. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, he's a kind of yeah. post Deadpool. Persona that he kind of trots out and
1: mm-hmm. plays in every film. <laughs> <laughs> now go back and watch The Voices. He's really good in The Voices. Yeah, Anna that's Kendrick.
2: pre. That's pre. Yeah. Pre
1: Deadpool. That's
2: pre Deadpool. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, Anna Kendrick's in that, right?
1: Brilliant film. She's great in it too. But
2: yeah. What do you, What do you think of the way that this I, film? Kind I of think leads?
1: it's brilliant. It 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 takes what then what. Some of what they're known for and dolls up to hundred. In that, Blake Lively is known as being the gorgeous, glamorous, how like the gorgeous, glamorous wife of Ryan Reynolds and the perfect mum and the glam, and it does all of that. She is a perfect, glamorous mother, but then it twists it in the dark and she's actually a bitch of a wife and like she has no motherly instincts. Like it does seem that she really cares about her son, but she's not motherly in the way that we would expect someone to be a mother um which i also like i like seeing different types of moms mm-hmm. um and then with anna kendrick you know anna kendrick has real theater kid energy because she was a musicals kid so it takes that really intense theater kid energy and rolls it all the way up to 100 with the like obsessive perfect mommy blogging mm-hmm. but then again pays into that like yeah but she secretly fucks her brother which again is like that theater like they go on stage and they're perfect but they're all fucking each other behind the scenes in theater they're well ancestral <laughs> so like really plays up into those two elements um and yeah and i think it allows them to be both be caricatures of themselves which is always brilliant
2: yeah i love when films kind of get to play upon the persona of the kind of the, the metatextual level of like who that person is in real life So i don't know i guess it's like the um i'm trying to think of like castings you're an obvious one is Nicolas Cage in The Unbearable White of Massive Talent, but he's playing himself. But even like,
1: well, not to bring him up again, but when Ryan Reynolds did Family Guy, um, like that was amazing. Ryan Reynolds did Family Guy as Ryan Reynolds and uh-huh. like played himself as like this absolute insanity person, and it was amazing.
2: I guess it's uh, anyone who guest stars on Kirby Enthusiasm as well, mm-hmm. right? With that thing of yeah. like, I'm gonna send up what people perceive me to be.
1: Oh, and, like, Matt LeBlanc in episodes.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's, like, he's this kind of has-been. Yeah, 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, like, like, yeah, there's people playing themselves, but, like, I'm trying to think, like, I guess it's, like, stunt casting to a way. Mm -hmm. Like, to a thing. But, like, I think this film does it, like, amazingly well. And, like, we get to see both of them, do what they do perfectly well i think like blake lively like walking in slow motion it's like well yeah if you've got blake lively that's what you're going to do right you're going to get her to walk through a graveyard with a cane in this mm-hmm. kind of like beautiful like uh vintage chanel suit like yeah. barely nothing else and you're gonna get you're gonna get anna kendrick to uh wrap along to anti up by mop Mm -hmm. in a car because like that's that that's her kind of bread and butter as a theater Mm -hmm. kid
1: absolutely i think it's it is it's that cinematography and the direction as well that does so much with that because yeah you know in the hands of someone else um emily would be wearing skin tight dresses and all sorts of you know over the top things and she's so over the top she's so over the top but her energy comes from her outfits and she's so covered up but she is still so sexual and so attractive and has all of that energy because of Blake's acting, Paul's direction, John's cinematography, the costumes, the fits and it it all pulls together because again it's not just the stunt casting but then Building
2: the character and the film around your stars. Well, yeah, because it's like a, I don't like it starts off of being like when you first meet Stephanie. I think she's the prime example of it. You think, oh yeah, that's that's an end, that's an Anna Kendrick archetypal Mm -hmm. character. And then like by the end of it, you're like, what? Like this? (laughs) Like like this feels like something new and refreshing that we haven't really Mm -hmm. seen before.
1: Absolutely. Um, so,
2: let's, yeah, I wanted to dive into uh, the aspect of, like, is this a pastiche of the genre or is it a valid a valid entry? Like, does this stand shoulder to shoulder with Gone Girl?
1: I prefer the term homage. <laughs> um, I don't think it can stand shoulder to shoulder, nor do I think it wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's definitely not. But I think, again, that's what makes it stand out. That's what makes it interesting. That's what's good about it. Um, so, yeah, it shouldn't be in the thriller pantheon, but it, it should be in a, I don't know, like housewife subversion genre if such a thing exists.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's enough kind of entries into that. Like,
1: I mean, even like we spoke about "Don't Worry, Darling." Now, just because they're mm-hmm. both quite on my mind because I've seen them both very recently, there are a lot of similarities in terms of the costuming and the lighting, and the like taking different kinds of women and their roles in patriarchal societies. Um, and yeah, I'm sure there's tons of other films that would fit into that pantheon.
2: Yeah. So uh, another point I wanted to touch upon is like the. Uh, I don't know. Is it is there a queer subtext to this or is it content? Oh my
1: god, yeah, it's well, it's not a subtext, it's it's just it's queer,
3: text. it's text, it's text,
1: it's, it's, text. it's text, yeah. Like, you definitely, it's you know, Emily is definitely gender fluid, uh, not gender fluid, sorry, um, fluid sexually. I can't remember the term, um, pansexual,
2: pansexual, yeah, she got, yeah, yeah but She finds a tra- yeah, she's going there. No.
1: Yeah, and but also I think for Emily, Emily, I don't think has romantic attachments. I don't think she has many attachments at all. Emily views sex as a weapon and a means to get power. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if that person's man, woman, or whatever. She is there to steal their light, steal their energy, steal their power, jump to the next thing. Is the impression I get just from Mm -hmm. what we learn about her from Linda Cardellini's character and what we learn about her with Sean? Then we've got Stephanie. Who just seems like a little bit of a, a freaky bitch? And <laughs> she's, she's had the stuff with the brother. And then she has that obsession with Emily. And they share that kiss. And I think the kiss is confusing. And I think like for, for Stephanie's character, because I think she still in that point doesn't know. Am I attract she's like, I know I'm attracted to you, but what what where is the attraction coming from? Is it a sexual attraction? Mm-hmm. Is it an admiration? um so i think you know it's about that exploration and you know sometimes you do just meet someone where you you become infatuated with them so mm-hmm. i do think that that is all there and i think it's handled really tastefully
2: i i love the fact that um jessica shaza when like questioned on like why she added in the kind of like uh yeah the the queer elements too it was like Mm -hmm. it just kind of felt right Mm. like it's kind of like it's kind of of like was in my head and like i don't know this this feels like this is a part of this story like uh, well and it
1: it it bonds them together so much more because unfortunately within the film just given the runtime they have you don't get that much time of emily and stephanie together they only really share five or six scenes together Mm. like or not scenes but you know encounters events so you don't get that much. So you need to fast forward with that and dial it up. So I think by adding in that potential sexual attraction adds into that intensity of why Stephanie would be so willing to keep going around, so willing to help her out, so invested in her being missing, because you just don't get enough time within the screenplay and the runtime without that.
2: Yeah, and I've, like, I like I always come back to and what I find funny is, the fact that it's in that opening like uh monologue that stephanie has on her blog where she's like yeah so we've we've known each other for like a few weeks Mm -hmm. we've been best friends for a few weeks it's like oh yeah Yeah. this is all happening and you've known someone for like
1: three weeks (laughs) like you are you are fucking insane But it is, it's like complete lust and infatuation and desire and then curiosity. And like, again, in that scene with the brother fucker scene, you see see the mutual attraction for each other because they see the spark of kindred spirits in each other of, oh, you're a fucked up weirdo too. Mm. Hey, like we see each other. And so I think that's, again, she finally found someone who she was able to tell her deepest, darkest secret to, who just accepted it. And ran with it and then also then like, has this attraction too, I can understand why Emily would be so important to her.
2: Well, um and what this film does as well is obviously when she first tells the story of like her husband and brother dying, like there's massive sympathy for and well yeah, there's sympathy for Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And then like we see the true like true events of the moments leading up to it like the argument between her husband and it makes you look at stephanie in a different light as well like
1: oh completely differently
2: like i'm pretty sure the actor if i'm right is the actor who plays her husband the guy from 50 shades who plays like uh, anna's boss Oh, like, I
1: don't know because I've actually never watched Fifty Shades. I know her <laughs> brother is Ted from Shit's Creek.
2: Yes, but like the guy, the guy who plays her husband, really like doesn't look like the type of guy that you expect.
1: No, the character not
2: at all. to be. The, 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 he yeah,
1: seems like he would abuse her a little bit.
2: Yeah, one. There's something about like I, I. I there's probably an element of the fact that he is, like, he looks he looks drunk when they're having this dispute. And, and
1: like, he's very angry to find out. That yeah, so he is, is
2: being, he is he the, is the guy actor yeah. from uh, Fifty Shades Freed who plays um, Anna in that, like, psycho boss. Um, oh. I will say one thing. Watching the Fifty Shades films in quick succession to cover them on this podcast... <laughs> Fifty Shades Free might be the best.
1: Ah. (laughs) I'm just looking, and I think apart from this, I've not seen any of his work, so that's why he is just an invisible man to me.
2: Yeah, but I I guess there's probably an element of... And again, that would feel like kind of stunt casting in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, people's perception of this guy would have been, what... uh, yeah i guess paul feig would have known like what character or definitely john swartzman would have known. I'd be like, oh that guy plays an absolute fucking psycho in 50 shades free <laughs> like i know that like and yeah when he's on screen it's like i don't know it really shatters that illusion of um stephanie being like i don't know perfect, you,
1: perfect mom who had the perfect house and the perfect husband yeah, white and then picket yeah and you're like no there was no picket fence no that it's... house was dark and twisted and weird
2: yeah like that guy looks like and sorry to jack hyde as an actor but he looks like the type of guy who like if the kid misbehaved would be like taking his belt off do you oh, know what yeah. I mean like
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I think it does something clever as well it's like it makes you like almost go like oh you're right to have. Fucked your brother. Do you know what I mean? Like he seems like he seems nice. Like he seems now, lovely. No, no. Yeah, I don't
1: know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've,
2: I've, I've, I've nearly had a bottle of prosecco, guys. I'm, I, I cannot be held accountable for the things I'm saying. We're
1: not promoting incest. We're
2: not promoting. I'm just saying, like from the actor's standpoint, he looks <laughs> like the yeah Ted from Shit's Creek is a, a, a lot more kind of. And having watched Shit's Creek, we all yes. want
1: to marry Ted from Shit's Creek. <laughs>
2: Amazing. Um, is there any is there any other elements of this? Because obviously yeah, we have kind of haven't even talked about the kind of twists and turns. But before before we kind of move on to that, you mentioned um, Lynn, uh, yeah, you mentioned Linda Cardellini, and I kind of have to mention her because obviously this is this is like as somebody who was a massive fan of Freaks and Geeks when he was younger, seeing her crop up in a pulpy like joint. Uh, mm-hmm. Once more was an absolute delight. So, see, I think this is their first time working together since then.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What did you like? Uh, yeah, what what did you make of that scene? It, it like I, I,
1: I, funny actually. It's it's always God. my least favorite scene in the movie, and I don't know why because <laughs> I love Linda Cardellini. So, I didn't watch Freaks and Greeks, but to me, Linda Cardellini is Sam from ER, Nurse Sam, um, and she is also Valma. And then I adore mm. her in um, Dead to Me. So like I and like I think Linda Cardellini is one of our finest working actresses. I want a film with. So I I was thinking about this in the car earlier. I would like a uh, Paul Feig, all female comedy, in the vein of like, the Trip or that girlfriend's film, that is the uh, Marvel Wags. And I want it to be Gwyneth Paltrow, Linda Cardellini, Latley Portman, Rachel McAdams, um, whoever else needs to be there. And they all go on a little weekend getaway or they're at a safe house or something. And then like one of them snuck into the weapons cabinet, but they accidentally like kill a guy or something. And then they're always trying to cover it up before um, Nick Fury finds out and like rips them all to shreds. Like, give me that, give me that MCU Phil.
2: Amazing. That's um, like, that that sounds that, that like the MCU version of uh, very bad things, like a kind of like yeah. a, a, a Hindu gone awry or something.
1: Absolutely. And I just, because I was just thinking, like, because that's what she's done most of recently is being an MCU wife. And like, it feels such waste. Like, I always delight when I see her on screen, but it feels like such waste. And so I was like, oh my God, give her, let her lead like an MCU comedy. Mm. But like, it's just them fucking up and accidentally like, Using those attack tech and fucking something yeah. up and having to fix it before the but the men come back, um. But yeah, something about her in this film or in that scene just never works for me, and I don't know what it is.
2: I, I, yeah, um, I don't know. Like, I think I was just like bowled over by the fact that Linda Cardellini on the mm-hmm. screen, like, because I saw I saw her name in like the the cast list of so I was like, oh, when's when's linda turning up and then like when mm-hmm. she did it, oh yeah and I, I think i think it's a good scene in like it kind of feels like a serviceable scene to give us like that,
1: that. i think that it feels like she's stuck with all the exposition
2: mm. yeah she's kind of like a. oh i'm just another clue in the mm-hmm. unraveling mystery as opposed to i don't know i get to do something meaty
1: Mm-hmm. In, in, and maybe it. that's it i just i want more for linda Cardellini, but i love seeing her nothing wrong with the performance well just...
2: well we can only hope that um yeah linda carlini's character gets some more airtime in mm-hmm. a, a simple favor too like
1: uh... isn't it called like the most the the most simple favor or something like that
2: Oh, that yeah that 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 would be or or another simple favor would be a great title it's
1: i saw it on letterboxd and anna kendrick's list hang on it was like i was like oh that's that's funny um oh no now looking at someone's list apologies the cat's trying to break in and it's very distracting um the most simple favor yeah
2: (laughs) amazing amazing so um yeah what what do you make of the twists and turns that we get in this film? Are, we, are they kind of, are they signposted or, or is there any that kind of like really took you aback watching this film?
1: Again, I'm trying to remember the first time I watched it mm-hmm. back in like 2019. Um, I feel like I knew she was definitely going to still be alive and I feel like I twigged the twin thing when we saw her body. I was like, "Right, wow, she was definitely a twin. Um and I do love a bit of like secret twin stuff. I mean I watched all of Pretty Little Liars. Twin <laughs> stuff is mad. Um Twins are weird. Um so I think I saw them. I think it was like the twist in the ending I didn't see, and they're fun. They're great. Yeah, like, like when, in the showdown.
2: That showdown is great, right? When they're mm-hmm. kind of like it's you don't know who's double crossing who at what point, like and like the 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 like, yeah sean getting shot and stuff like that and the power dynamics within that with mm-hmm. like emily being like oh i figured it all out like i knew that it's like a seesaw bugs.
1: the whole is just up and down and up and down you like oh ping pong or something yeah and then
2: i would love like as i said I, i've only watched this the one time but like when she starts her like vlog about like and she apologizes for what she's about to do i'd love to re-watch it like because obviously when we see it again it says like streaming live mm. if it says that like if it's like a kind of like when you watch it again it's like oh yeah it says like live streaming so like like would you kind of be like let into the kind of like do you know what I mean would it be more signposted I don't
1: think it is for me on a rewatch because I think her mommy vlogging always just, again, seems like a framing device and a exposition dump, not dump, but like a a framing device to give us more exposition Mm -hmm. and also like show us the passing of time. So I just, I never saw that coming.
2: Yeah, but that one, like, yeah, when it cuts back to the screen, it says like streaming live because it's it's supposed to be like a YouTube window, isn't it? Mm -hmm i just wonder if on screen it kind of says when she delivers that speech before like in the middle of that when she enters with the gun whether it says streaming live at the bottom like as like a kind of like oh it's we were hiding this in plain sight like as an audience you just didn't pick up on it and then on rewatch you can kind of see that and go oh yeah of course like she's streaming live of course this is how it is going to end like
1: Mm. it's kind of
2: chekhov's vlog in a way, Do you <laughs> know what I mean. It's like, of course, the vlog was gonna kind of come to fruition in this way, and that was gonna be the thing that would catch her out. And like, I, I, I loved it for that. And like, even when it gets to the point where Emily runs outside, gets run over, and it's, it turns out that the car that ran over was Andrew Reynolds' character, and he's <laughs> like, "Us mums stick together." Like, <laughs> it's like, was, like, it's amazing.
1: Like. No, it's it's her crawling like mm. just the that's what I love about the film is just the absolute ludicrousness of it of her in the heels in the shattered glass just trying to crawl or crawl away from the police who are just like very casually walking behind her.
2: Yeah, and there's like there's there's a lot of this insanity in this like that moment like when she throws a wrench up in the air to catch it with her fucking eye to the fucking like. <laughs> like she suffered abuse it's like what is going on right now like i kind of like i'm kind of like, confused but at the same time i'm absolutely loving this
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, before we start to wrap this up is there any other aspects of the film that we we need to touch on that we haven't already Claire?
1: um whoever the music supervisor was the french music
2: it's great right
1: oh just delicious yeah Again, just that absolute... Because, again, I think we find out that, like, Emily's a shell. Emily isn't a real person, and all of her highfalutin suits and rich husband and Her whole life is a complete fraud. And so it absolutely strikes me as her being the kind of person that would listen to French music, not because she likes it, just so she can be like, oh, yeah, I prefer the French version.
2: Definitely. Like, there's a... What is the, yeah, because there's a French cover in the opening titles, right? It's like a cover of. Yeah.
1: Um, Music those, to watch girls by.
2: Yes. And that, 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 yes. those opening titles. When I was watching it, I was like, oh, I think I'm in for a good time just from watching. Yeah. The, like those credits. I was like.
1: Because yes. it's fluffy and it's fun, but it feels sophisticated and chic. Because you're like, yeah, it's, french and it's so chic but
2: then when you think about it you're like that's so silly it's still just the same song yeah there's like um i don't know like you just know it's going to be fun like and like the the fact that the title sequence almost looks like a kind of old like french film or something like or like a Mm -hmm. kind of mystery caper that you'd get in like the 60s or something like that i was like oh i think i think I think we're gonna be in for a good old time with this film, and
3: yeah, I we
2: think, yeah, as I stated throughout this episode, and like even showed my cards at the beginning, it very much is a very mm-hmm. fun time, and it's uh, I don't know, yeah, I would uh, I would take up this simple favor again anytime, and I'm oh, I'm, I'm you know, absolutely
1: because I've only ever watched it on streaming um currently being a i player, cheers lads. Um but it made me jealous when you said there was like all of these directors' commentaries on the Blu-ray. I'm like, oh I might have to I have to treat myself, go to C E X and see what I can find.
2: Yeah, there's
1: let me have a look
2: to see who the who the commentaries are, just so yeah, people listening as well can know what they can mm. get on the,
1: the Don't get enough the commentaries these days. So when we get one You get
2: free, you're in for a bloody good time. So mm-hmm. The commentaries we get on this, let me have a look. It's in small, It's in very small font, guys, and I'm in poor lighting right now, so I
1: need to get a light <laughs> on the
2: situation. Three um, commentaries with cast and crew, including Paul Feig, Anna Kendrick, and Blake Lively. Yes. Bloody please. Yeah,
1: I want it. I need that.
2: Yeah, I think we're definitely going to get, like, that means one of them is going to either be Ah, oh, you, you you definitely I I definitely should have watched them, but t- time is time is very precious for me, and I can't I can't I can't watch this film four times, guys. I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but in time for the sequel, he will. Yeah,
2: of course, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're like, but you definitely want one that is. I would love one that is just anna kendrick and Blake Lively. Yeah, yeah. I, I think chaos. that would be really fun. And then I don't know maybe like a paul feig and jessica shaza would be really great together and then mm. maybe like like a nerdy technical one do you know what i mean like uh yeah i'm a big fan and i, I think directors commentaries <laughs> are something that and or just commentaries in general are something that like yeah don't get enough airtime these days and like but uh, oh i love them like my personal favorite is the armageddon one just because it's so I've fucking chaotic. Brilliant things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you've got if you've got like a half cut ben affleck kind of dishing dirt on michael bay on a on a commentary and it's included yes fucking please um so yeah anything else anything else we need to to, to mention claire or should we, we start to start to wrap up this mystery
1: just let women wear suits more.
2: Yes, please. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Just
1: yeah, women in suits. Let me suits see if stuff. It's
2: everything else on my list. Oh yeah. The final thing I had on my list is Do you identify more as an Emily or a Stephanie?
1: No. Oh, Stephanie. Apart <laughs> I like I'm not a mum, but like and have no intention of being fingers crossed. Um, but I'm <laughs> way more awkward, Stephanie, energy. Admiring people from afar and wishing I could be them, and you know, dreaming of skinning them and wearing their face as a mask. Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. yeah there's no, there's no Emily in me. I can't pull off a suit. Um, can't pull off a cane.
2: No, I, I, I think many few can, right? And then I love the <laughs> fact that it's Paul Fig Kane as well. but like, yeah, that's yeah. an affectation he has whilst he's directing. Is like, gonna be a cane guy. As he should. Yeah, not only is he a suit guy, he seems to be always adorned in a suit. It's like, I'm going to take it to the next level when I'm directing Mm -hmm. a film. I'm going to have a a walking stick or a cane so I can point at shit and look important. Mm -hmm.
1: And make it to dinner.
2: Yes, yes, I I love that. uh, No wonder he's been working in the UK a lot more, seeing (laughs) their laws on... Set times are very like quite strict. It's like, yeah, it gets to five o'clock. It's like, right down tools. Paul Feaster were like, oh, lovely. I can, I can, I can can make it to Claridge's by six. Lovely. (laughs) (laughs) So, as we wrap this up, the first thing we need to get out of the way is, is there any copula connections within this film, Claire? And by that, is anyone who is in front of or behind the camera worked with the copelers elsewhere in their filmographies? Did you manage to find any?
1: Well, Sir John and Paul, Sir John Schwartzman and Paul Feig worked together a few times. So that's a real easy one. And then I really struggled because my brain can't do that work that quickly. Oh, it's,
2: uh, i'll let you into a secret all i do is just scan through people I mean, yeah it, i'm probably at an advantage because I you've been of,
1: doing this and i've got and, a, and i've got
2: like a just a passing knowledge of like film titles that i've like mm-hmm. seen so many times on spreadsheets so i'm like
1: that's it like i'm better at doing it for w rated like if i'm watching a film i'm like oh that's the second time I've seen him in one of these films. Yes. Oh, he's going to be in three more of these films, and um, whereas for this, like, I'm not as well versed in the Coppola family tree as you might be, so um, I failed miserably. Is what I'm trying to say.
2: No, I as well. I'll, I'll throw out. I've only got. I've only got a couple here. Um, so yeah, obviously we mentioned that um, Eric Johnson, who plays Jack Hyder in. Um, Uh, Fifty Shades Freed, uh, which is also a John Swartzman film. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anna Kendrick plays Meg Brickman in the Mark Peace Experience, and Stacey Pilgrim in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which Jason Swartzman is also in. Oh yeah, I know that
1: because I looked up Jason (laughs) Swartzman's (laughs) filmography.
2: And uh, Henry Golding is in Last Christmas which Mm -hmm. john swartzman again was the cinematographer on yeah the films that john swartzman has done so far with um paul Feig are this film last christmas and the now released as you're listening to this the school of good and evil
1: um, yeah, so I saw like a clip of that and I thought it looked like one of the worst things I've ever seen and then I saw the poster <laughs> and then I saw Paul when Feig was attached and I was like, god damn, I'm going to end up watching it.
2: Yeah, the, the, the thing is I was looking through the cast today and I was like it's a pretty good fucking cast. Like, yeah. He's, he's really pulled it out of the bag, like let's have a look at like one of the people I saw, it I was like, he's got Michelle Yeoh in it and I was like, yeah. I'm a fucking bastard, you've You've pulled it out here, Paul.
1: Like, yeah, Kate uh, Blanchett. I mean, she's only a narrator, but you know, you've, apparently Ben Kingsley, Patty Lepone, Rachel Bloom, and like I adore Rachel Bloom. So Bob. it's obviously a musical number. If you've got Patty Lepone and Rachel Bloom in it, that's going to be some music for me. Yeah,
2: Rob and Delaney. He, oh yeah, Ron He Fishburne. has been saying
1: for years that he's wanted to make a musical. So I'm like, well, if this is how he got there.
2: Well, hasn't he? Hasn't he recorded like a kind of musical dance sequence, basically, for, for every film, but none mm-hmm. of them have actually made the screen? I, I know. There's yeah, a...
1: so like the bridesmaids and Ghostbusters ones are the credits. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, I get why. I get why. <laughs>
2: I think him doing an, I think Paul Feig doing an out and out musical would be, would be good. Yeah. Be amazing. Yeah. I I think we
1: can, we can come back and compare notes after the weekend.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 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 Maybe the, maybe there'll be a little addition to this episode having me watched School of Good and Evil. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm currently looking to, uh, I don't know. That runtime makes me feel like it's not going to be a film I can watch my son. Oh, and it's a 12. But I definitely cannot watch it with a three-year-old, but I will. I will try and watch it uh, <laughs> over the weekend and include my thoughts on the the intro or outro to this episode. Um, mm-hmm. So, Claire, before I let you go, I need to ask you some burning questions. Mm-hmm. But before I get there, how are we going to rate this film? And the way we do that on this podcast is talk about a wine pairing. What would be the perfect wine pairing for this film?
1: Well, the problem is. It's not wine. It's no. a gin martini. Of
2: course it is.
1: Like, there's no wine. What kind <laughs> um, of it's gin? A g- Well, it's Blake Lively, so it has to be aviation, <laughs> reason, doesn't it? <laughs> I love that product placement.
2: I, like- I know
1: every time such a feminist film like, and
2: then it's almost like you've got the patriarchal hand of Ryan uh, hey Ryan
1: that's her money too yeah. his is hers yeah, like yeah, you yeah. get yours <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's true that's true but he's the face of the brand
1: yeah Um. so yeah be be top shelf gin because as she tells us in the film we need top shelf gin and also this for me it is a top shelf film maybe not in terms of and I don't want to say quality because I think quality is great but yeah it's it's not a prestige film mm-hmm. but it's a great film it's a fun film it is an evening after work film or a sunday afternoon film it will give you comfort and joy and maybe some other feelings if you're so inclined whenever you watch it
2: it, it it's a film i kind of like was espousing about at work today mm. I was like kind of saying to people like yes like like i kind of like i don't know, i feel bad saying it as like Kind of to, yeah, no, it's actually really great. And I felt bad you know it saying that was actually fresh. great. yeah.
1: That's it like, feels fresh. It feels like no one else is even attempting to do anything like this.
2: And a couple of people like, and I'm um, like, if the, if the sequel had been greenlit, I know that I definitely would have got two more, like, yeah, two more sets of eyes on this film i'd be like oh that could have that could have that could have tipped them over the edge like lionsgate could mm-hmm. be like right with green light in the sequel do you know what i mean like yeah um that would have been
1: your doing yeah of
2: course i'm i'm, I'm gonna take it anyway even though this retrospectively mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh yeah, yeah 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 it's uh even though it's a green light in may uh, <laughs> so, so we're, going, we're going top shelf on this yeah i think I I really enjoyed this. I I rated this at like a four-star movie, like just cuz
1: Yeah, same.
2: I know that I know that I'm going to rewatch this film and like it's going to be Yeah,
1: cuz according to Letterboxd I've only watched it twice and I know that's definitely not how I definitely know seen it a third time. And it is <laughs> it's really rewatchable and it's really fun to rewatch because you see more small details every time you rewatch it.
2: Yeah, that that's what I look forward to, like especially now knowing the kind of machinations of the plot kind of trying to see if there's any signifiers to sphinx or i don't know clues along the way that can tip mm-hmm. us to where this is going so um and as we've discussed i'm definitely going to be watching this three more times just for those, uh, <laughs> just for those commentaries <laughs> <laughs> so i must ask you and i um i don't know, i hate to be presumptuous but like, well, I know the answer to this question, but based on this film alone, are the Coppola's the greatest film family of all time?
3: I
1: still say yes, lovely. Yeah, I just think it's a great film and it's got good stuff going on. I would be happy to have a hundred more of these,
2: yeah. And I like we're getting one, so let's hope that it's got to be a trilogy, right? You've got to, <laughs> if you're doing two, you've got to do you've got to do you've got to do a three. Kind of feels like I don't know. I th- oh,
1: because yeah, the last one will be one last favour.
2: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last. Yeah. One last simple favour. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. You got to... Paul, if you're listening. Come on this podcast and make it a trilogy. Don't just skimp out on two. Come on. Uh, so.
1: And can you just make me an, on a very bridesmaid or Ghostbuster? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Come on, make Claire's dreams come true, Paul. <laughs> yeah, suit-wearing bastard. Um, <laughs> so before I let you go, Claire, I must ask you, which of family member would you keep, but in doing so you get rid of the entire filmography of the rest of the family?
3: Yeah,
1: so this was both... Easy and difficult um <laughs> because there was a lot of um kind of the older couplers who are just some terrible human and I have not gone back and have not done my film history homework, so it was quite easy to knock some of them out. but got down to a four-way, and Sophia, Mr. Cage, and then two of the schwartzmans John schwartzman and Jason Schwartzman. After that knockout, it went down to the two Schwartzmann boys. Um now, whilst I'm very sad to be losing some of my favourite movies in the Wes Anderson films and Scott Pilgrim. Moonrise Kingdom and Scott Pilgrim are such beautiful films. But I'm going to have to go with John, our man of the hour, because he gives me this. He gives me a couple of the Jurassic World films. He gives me some Nick Cage in The Rock. I get Armageddon. Um, and, but most importantly, most importantly, I get The Amazing Spider-Man. I get Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. I get Peter Parker (laughs) and I get Gwen Stacy. I get the most beautiful kiss filmed on screen of the two of them on the roof when she's in her little blue jumper and he spins her to him. So, yeah, I mean, it was always going to be John.
2: I think he's a dark horse of the family. He's kind of had this, like, Mm. interesting career where he's like...
1: Really varied. Yeah,
2: he's like... I like how he's kind of, like, uh, become different director's guy. Do yeah, you know I mean? yeah, because
1: Colin Trevorrow I've used them all the time. Yeah. Another reason why I can't delete him because I've still not seen the book of Henry, and I want to watch that film.
2: I have seen it. I watched it with my mum. Oh, and I'm not going to divulge too much about that because I'm yet to cover that film on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But oh boy, it's kooky yeah. bananas. And like...
1: yeah, <laughs> I really, I'm like, I can't let his entire filmography be deleted before I go back and catch that.
2: <laughs> and and from what you're saying, um yeah the the unicorn and he's like this is how crazy like uh the coppola family works i didn't realize he had, he's the cinematographer on mr harrigan's phone as well so i guess that's coming to this podcast in the future and means i get to speak about stephen king on this podcast <laughs> as well so uh, it's, a, it's a family who keeps on giving yeah. <laughs> so, with all of that out of the way, I must ask you possibly the most important question on this podcast: that is, what does Bill Murray say to Scotty Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation?
1: It's been a really long time since I've watched it. It's very high up on my rewatch really list, so I can't remember where they are. Quite emotionally at the end of the movie, but I think I, I think I, I, think I can get back in the zone. So
3: I'm going with, it
2: will be okay, kid. Lovely,
3: lovely.
2: Yeah. Just. I yeah. Thi- I, I think what he says in that moment is, brother, fucker. <laughs> 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 on that on that on that note, Claire, where can people find you and all the wonderful things you're doing with W And when can people expect to hear that again? I know you guys are perfectly quite sporadic with your your episode releases and i kind of uh from knowing both you and daisy i kind of love you for it that is kind of it it comes And and goes as it pleases
1: we were chugging along with perfect steam and then august just everything went wrong and all of our recordings in august just didn't happen um so we lost a whole month of recording so we didn't have anything to release so we have decided to just take a little pause um so that we can build back up a little bit of a backlog so that if one of us needs a couple of weeks off we have a we still have an episode we've got four recorded on the back burner we are still cooking and um, so aiming to be back around november with a christmasy movie to kick us back off and um yeah, you yeah, can find that on all good podcast platforms. Um, it's W rated for the standing for the worst rated, and you can find it at W rated Pod on Twitter and Instagram. I promise I will start using the Instagram again soon. <laughs> um, for many reasons, <laughs> um, I just I'm not great at using my phone. Mm-hmm. It's the issue. I like doing things on the computer. Instagram is a very phone based app i need to talk to someone about but i know i'll lose <laughs> i went on a ramble there, um that was the question that was the answer <laughs>
2: <laughs> where can people find yourself if they want to hear your ramblings on, on,
1: on oh and aren't there many ones? um you can find me on twitter and instagram at claire ellen hope claire without the i i do post a little bit more on my instagram than on the podcast instagram which i don't think has had a post in 18 months Um, (laughs) I post sometimes things that happen at work or things that my housemates cats do
2: amazing well
1: joyous so so thrilling I can't wait for my thousands of new followers
2: (laughs) it's been amazing (laughs) to have you on this podcast to talk about such a delightful film Um, thank you thank you so much for coming and making some copious connections with me Claire
1: thank you for having me it's been a delight
2: And there we have it guys another tick list on the yes to the being the greatest film of all time i really should get around to someday um doing a little spreadsheet of the yeses and the nos so we can have a running tally really should have done that from the beginning but hindsight is a motherfucker uh, a massive thank you once again to claire and a massive thank you to all of you guys listening uh this one was a very fun episode as i said at the start and i'll say again um and i'll say another thing again as well make sure you're listening to w rated because it's a lot of joy and um claire 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 has not announced it but she's got another podcast in the works and we had a discussion about what it is i'm not going to disclose that here but oh boy has she got a humdinger of an idea coming for you guys so yeah make sure you follow claire because she is great she's kind of um on social media uh, and, and i guess on podcasts as well and it's what i find very endearing about claire is she is an agent of chaos and uh i very much uh respect that and kind of um i don't know feels like a kindred spirit in that way and uh very much uh yeah i said it too claire it's one of the only people that i would want to do a weekly podcast with uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah i'm saying it here again so the world can hear it um so if you send a simple favor and you agree disagree with us um i know certain people do obviously i shouted out a good friend of the podcast daryl Burr from the sudden double deep podcast he's less favorable this film than us, which is totally fine however you feel about this film do carry on the conversation with us uh, as i said um, yeah claire's claire's acts are all in the show notes and she dropped them just mere moments ago as we wrapped up the episode but if you want to yeah come find me uh, i'm at caged in pod on twitter instagram facebook Letterboxd and tick tock or you can drop me an email which is caged in pod at gmail.com as for next week and we approach spooky ooky season halloween is nearly upon us we'll be talking about a 1988 horror comedy starring the one the only nicholas cage you know what it is it is vampire's kiss for this i'll be having a discussion with not one not two but three guests who we have on the docket we have my my brother in arms in this cage race we have daryl edge from the fantastic cage rage podcast we have the ever great and fantastic david rosen from the piecing it together podcast and the one the only the pod daddy uh, breadcrumbs papa jonathan foster from the pod charles cinecast and breadcrumbs fame so join us next week as we dive into all things vampires kiss if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast and would like to give me a little bit of your money you can do so by heading over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where there's a whole heap of fun stuff behind that paywall and there is much more coming i just need to pull my bloody finger out however if you don't want to part with cash which is totally fine i totally get it it's uh it's tough out there it's (laughs) it's as tough as me as it is for you i'm sure so yeah what you can do to support this podcast is tell a friend tell a family member tell anyone you know and um another thing you can do which is always great is you can head over to apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now and give it a Give it a good old rating. Give it a rating, give it a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. Uh, let me know what you think, Bill Murray said to Scott Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation, and I will read them out on the next episode or whenever that episode happens to arise that that review comes on in. So, as ever, guys, I have been Petros Pat Syllabus. I've been your trusty guide through the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in and I'll catch you next
3: time.
0: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
3: This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the PodCharles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drooptown Lemery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you.